Everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Story Time. We are reading the book In My Father's House by Corey Tinboom, with permission of Light Trails Publishing and the Tinboom Foundation. And we are on Chapter 11, In and Out of the Watchmaker's Shop. Five, six, seven, eight. The chiming clocks in the shop told me it was eight o'clock in the morning. What a wonderful way to start the day. With the grateful Frisian clock singing the hour and the sonorous grandfather clock vibrating its bass melody and a dozen or more pendulums joining the chorus. I hummed a little tune under my breath as I poked the fire under the coffee pot and brought one slice of white bread and one of brown bread out for father's breakfast. He would descend the narrow staircase in exactly ten minutes. You could regulate your watch by his arrival in the dining room each morning. This was the day Father wound the clocks in the homes of the wealthy clients. His breakfast must be prompt, for he was as disciplined as the timepieces he treated. 8.10 a.m. Good morning, Corey. You've been busy already, I believe. He looked at the sacks lined up against the cupboards and knew that I had been up preparing meals for the day. Meat, vegetables, potatoes, and stewed fruit started cooking before breakfast. I would begin the food in boiling water and then remove it from the stove for a special long cooking method. Each pot would be wrapped in 16 newspaper pages and then enclosed in a towel, sealing in the heat. It was a very effective and efficient way to cook and store food. After breakfast and prayers, Father would go to our astronomical clock and check his pocket watch. The clock was impressive taller than father with an accuracy which demanded synchronization with the naval observatory clock in Amsterdam. Neither cold nor heat affected the astronomical clock. Mm, two seconds fast, father commented. He adjusted his own timepiece precisely in preparation for the work of the day. His bicycle was dusted, his hat adjusted, and off he went, pedaling intensely down the narrow Harlem streets until he reached the homes of his clients in the suburbs of the city. He was an aristocrat and a servant, a gentleman of dignity and a confidant of the most lowly. Class distinction was very strong in Holland, but to him, every human being was someone of value. As he whirled through the streets, he waved to many townspeople, endangering the security of his hat in the wind. When he arrived at the first house, breathless and prompt, he would go to the back door, ring the bell, and greet the servant girl who answered his summons. Hannah, how delightful to see your shining face this morning, he would say with a manner as gallant as one approaching royalty. Oh, Mr. Tinboom, I'm so happy to see you. I've been reading the book of John, just as you told me, and I have so many questions. Good, Hannah. I shall come to the kitchen for a coffee at 11 o'clock. Perhaps some of the other servants will come to have a little talk, too. Father made everyone feel important, and in a home where there were 12 or 14 servants, a downstairs maid or a cook's helper might not have too much feeling of self-worth. Many of them looked forward all week to the arrival of the watchmaker. His clients were people of means. Many of them in the import business are owners of sugarcane plantations in Indonesia. The mistress of one mansion asked him which dancing school he attended in order to learn how to bow in such a courtly manner. Dancing school? Imagine such a thing. Father answered, I never learned to dance, nor did I attend such a school. My father taught me manners. Former training had not been a part of father's background. He left school when he was 14 years old to become grandfather's helper in the workshop. He attended night school for a time, but his training was not of highly intellectual level. 
He was self-taught, especially from theological books and magazines. Sometimes when William explained to his fellow students at the university father's answer to a problem, he would be asked, where did your father study theology? Father's horizon was wide, and he talked with even his most outstanding customers with wisdom and insight. He was equally at home in the kitchen and in the beautiful setting rooms. He understood all these people because of the love in his heart, received through the Holy Spirit as the Bible describes. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. Romans 5.5 5. Among the customers whose clocks he had to wind was a distinguished pastor and philosopher, Domini de Super. Father often asked him probing questions. After some much, Domini offered to give a course in philosophy in their home. Although Father's beliefs didn't agree with this scholar's liberal views, the disputes between them didn't spoil their warm friendship. For several winters, this pastor, who later became a professor of philosophy at the University of Leiden, had a weekly study group in our home. There were agnostics and atheists and fundamentalists and liberals in this group, all with a quest for knowledge and none able to escape Casper Tim Boom's direct answers to complex questions. The Bible says, he would say when the arguments became involved. Father had nothing against philosophy, for he believed in philosophy of living based upon the word of God. However, he would express his differences when others would base their beliefs in such men as Kant and, and Hegel. Kant, the 18th century German philosopher, had introduced a way of thinking which influenced many in the intellectual community. He did not believe in absolute right and wrong and questioned whether people could accept things which were beyond their five senses. This would rule out spiritual realities or biblical truths. Hegel pursued the philosophy of relative thinking, which led to the basic political and economic ideas of Karl Marx and Adolf Hitler. Without former educational training, Father would debate with the most brilliant from the Bible he knew so well. He baffled some, converted others, and had the honest respect of all in that unusual study group. Out of the frying pan. When Father returned home after his clock-winding rounds, I was anxious to hear what had happened. What did Mrs. Van de Velt say today? Did you see Pastor de Supa? What about the cook at the de Bolt? Has she been reading the Bible we sent? Oh, Cory, Cory, Father laughed. Let's wait until after supper. The thought of the food you prepared this morning sustained me for the last five miles. My job for many years was to assist Tante Anna in the housekeeping, cooking, cleaning, and nursing. Betsy worked with Father in the shop as a bookkeeper, and I pursued the household task. I loved housekeeping. I found it a challenge and creative. For instance, I tried to beat my own time records in washing and ironing. On Monday, my goal was to have the clothes folded and put away by 4 o'clock. If I could make it by 3.30 or 3.45, I would reward myself with an extra 15 minutes to a half an hour of reading. I learned to bake bread, churn butter, and stretch a little to make a lot. The division of labor at the tin booms was suddenly changed by a flu epidemic in Holland. All the members of the family became ill. When Betsy was sick, I had to do her work in the shop, and this was something I'd never done before. I felt as if I had two left hands. It was a different world meeting people, remembering their particular likes and dislikes, seeing in facts and figures the precarious balance of the family business. When Betsy was well again, I made a suggestion. Why don't we exchange jobs for a few months so I can learn more about shopkeeping? 
I'm so terribly ignorant of what goes on in the business. And so we switched. It was 1920. William and Teen had their own families. Nolie and Flip had been married a year, and little German children had returned home. It was time for a change. I loved the work in the shop, and the only thing I thought unpractical was that when a customer brought in a broken watch, I always had to ask Father or one of our watchmakers in the watch shop to look at what repairs were needed or broken parts replaced. Father, I believe it would be useful if I learned watch repairing. Will you teach me the trade of watchmaking? Immediately, Father agreed. He had a great trust in my abilities. Of course I can teach you, and after some time I'll send you to Switzerland to work as an apprentice in a factory. I hope you'll become a better watchmaker than I am. Dear Father, he was one of the best watchmakers in all of Holland. He wrote a book about the exact regulation of watches, and he edited a weekly watchmaker's paper. He had become a pupil of Yao, one of the world's best clockmakers in his time. How could Father expect me to become better than he? Tante Anna overheard his remarks and said, Cass, I must warn you. Corey will never give up her full time to her trade. She always tries to do six things at a time. Tante Anna was right. She was a woman with singleness of purpose, the comfort of our family. It must have been difficult for her to cope with so many directions of my attention, those ambitions of my heart which ignored the circumstances of our lives. I knew I was the youngest child of the respected businessman who did not have much money, and I was happy and content as such a person. But I believed there was more for me to do. Dear Lord, I would pray in the privacy of my little room, can you use me in some way? Blessed money and cursed money. It only took a week for Betsy and I to know that changing jobs was right for both of us. Betsy, with her natural flair for beauty and order, added a new spark to the household. Cupboards were rearranged more efficiently. Flowers appeared on the table and in the window boxes, and even the meals seemed to have more imagination. I loved the store and the workshop. It had a very special atmosphere, and gradually I began to overcome my shyness and insecurity in meeting people and enjoyed selling the watches and clocks. There were many ups and downs in the watchmaking business, but Father seemed to have a keen understanding of the economic situation of our times. In his weekly paper, he wrote information and suggestions for others in the business. Since he read all the other papers about his trade in German, English, and French, he would adequately fill his paper with important news about trade and business. However, when it came to making money in his own shop, it wasn't always so simple. He loved his work, but he was not a money maker. Once we were faced with a real financial crisis, a large bill had come in to be paid, and there simply wasn't enough money. One day, a very well-dressed gentleman came into the shop and was looking at some very expensive watches. I stayed in the workshop and prayed, with one ear tuned to the conversation in the front room. Hmm, this is a fine watch, Mr. Timboom, the customer said, turning a very costly timepiece over in his hands. This is just what I've been looking for. I held my breath as I saw the affluent customer reach into his inner pocket and pull out a thick wad of notes. Praise the Lord, cash. I saw myself paying the overdue bill and being relieved of the burden I had been carrying for the past few weeks. The blessed customer looked at the watch admiringly and commented, I had a good watchmaker here in Harlem. His name is Von Houten. Perhaps you know him? Father nodded his head. He knew almost everybody in Harlem, especially colleagues. Von Houten died, and his son took over the business. However, I bought a watch from him which didn't run at all. I sent it back three times, and it was just a lemon. 
That's why I decided to find another watchmaker. Will you show me that watch, please, Father asked. The man took a large watch out of his pocket and gave it to Father. Now let me see, Father said, opening the back of the watch. He adjusted something and returned it back to the customer. There. That is a very little mistake. It will be fine now. Sir, I trust the young watchmaker. He's just as good as his father. I think you can encourage him by buying the new watch from him. But Tim Boom, the customer objected. The young man has had a difficult time in the trade without his father. If you have a problem with one of his watches, come to me and I'll help you out. Now I shall give you back your money and you return my watch. I was horrified. I saw Father take back the watch, give the money to the customer, and then he opened the door for him and bowed deeply in his old-fashioned way. My heart was where my feet should be as I emerged from the shelter of the workshop. Papa, how could you? I was so shocked by the enormity of what I'd seen and heard that I reverted to a childhood term. Corey, you know I brought the gospel at the burial of Mr. Van Houten. Of course I remembered. It was Father's job to speak at the burials of the watchmakers in Harlem. He was greatly loved by his colleagues. He was also a very good speaker. He always used the occasion to talk about the Lord Jesus. Father often said that people were touched by eternity when they had seen someone dying. This is an opportunity that we should use to tell about him who is willing to give eternal life. Corey, what do you think that young man would have said when he'd heard that one of his good customers had gone to Mr. Tinboom? Do you think that the name of the Lord would be honored? There is blessed money and cursed money. Trust the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he will take care of us. I felt ashamed and I knew Father was right. I wondered if I would ever have that kind of trust. I remembered myself as a child and when I had to go to school for the first time, my fingers were tied on the railing again, not wanting to go the direction God wanted, only to follow my own stubborn path. Can I really trust him with an unpaid bill? Yes, Father, I answered quietly. Who was I answering, my earthly father or my father in heaven? The trivial things. As I continued working with Father, we both realized that our characters were formed by our job. Watch repairing is a training in patience. How Father helped me when I had difficulties in the work. And who in the whole world should I help with more joy than my own daughter, he often said. The workshop was opened every morning with prayer and Bible reading. If there were problems, we prayed over them together. Father practiced what Paul advised. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 These simple things kept morale high, but it also was such a joy to experience Jesus' victory. He is a friend who never leaves us alone. When my hand was not steady and I had to do a very exact piece of work, like putting a fragile part of the watch, the balance, for instance, into the movement, I prayed, Lord Jesus, will you lay your hand on my hand? He always did, and our joined hands worked securely. Jesus never fails us for a moment. I experienced the miracle that the highest potential of God's love and power is available to us in the trivial things of everyday life. Next time will be chapter 12, All is Well Until It Rains. I hope you're enjoying this book as much as I am and being blessed by it as well. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.